Hi, welcome to Byzantine Dreams with Michael and Carolyn. Even if you don't know our next guest by name, you've probably seen his grinning face on repeat in the meme sphere. In July of 2017, Christian Langalis attended a congressional hearing where Janet Yellen, former chair of the Federal Reserve, was giving testimony. C-SPAN's caption read, breaking news, Yellen, I'm strongly opposed to audit the Fed. Christian jostled in the audience for a spot, and then, when he had a straight shot at the camera, brandished a legal pad with the words, buy Bitcoin, straight into the camera lens. Christian was shortly escorted out by security, and the meme known as Bitcoin Sign Guy was born. In more ways than one, this fourth wall break was a taste of things to come, Ray, the performative breakdown of American politics we've seen here in 2020. I first met Christian two years after the Bitcoin sign incident in Lower Manhattan at a conference. He was a portrait of a box wine drinking college bro wearing Joe's A Bank seersucker suits, but was carrying a tome of cyber gothic theory and educating conference goers on accelerationism. He'd navigated complex permit issues and undertaken significant personal expense to bring a live bull to the event. This was during the 2018 bear market in crypto, and he'd brought the bull to let us know that the bull market was back. Christian is definitely one of the most interesting minds I've encountered over the past 24 months. Today, Christian is working with the Urbit project. Urbit was conceived of almost 20 years ago and has been under active development for the past several years, quietly humming along with the aim of redesigning personal computing from the ground up, in part using lessons learned from Bitcoin. It's a mysterious, heady project, and definitely no stranger to controversy. Like our last episode with Amber, today we dive deep into social media in the state of cloud computing. Christian takes us on a tour of cognitive malware, casino jails, dopamine vending machines, mimetic language, and his vision of the future primitive, colored by his classical tastes and background in studio art. It's an interesting point of departure from our last episode with Amber. Instead of co-opting the cloud, Christian and his cohorts are advocating full-on exit from the social and financial life of a total ground-up rebuild of computing as we know it. So we hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to your Byzantine dream. All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Byzantine Dreams. I'm your host, Michael Haley. And this is Carolyn Rucka. And today we are joined by Christian Langolis. Hey, guys. The Bitcoin ambassador to Urbit, who many of you may know as Bitcoin Side Guy. Christian, how's it going, man? Hey, thanks for having me. Things yeah. are well. A little rainy here in the Wyoming bison sphere citadel, you know, you know how it is. I think we all know how it is. Yeah. I mean, seriously, I I saw a bison outside my window. <laughs> so, Christian, before we dive in, uh, tell us a little bit about what you've been up to the past couple of years. You know, maybe <laughs> let's start at the Bitcoin sign incident. I first met you a year ago uh, and you had a yeah. live bull with you. It was a very different time. <laughs> And the world is a very different time in New York City. Uh, what are you focusing on right now? What have you been up to? What have I been up to? Uh, well, I guess since 2000, 
15. It's been, that's sort of when my Bitcoin arc began, but we can fast forward to right now. I'm currently uh, employed at the Talon Corporation, which is the company that leads development of Urbit. And my duty there is to see that Urbit has full Bitcoin capability and that Bitcoin is essentially the currency layer for the Urbit operating system, or at least is the first currency <laughs> integration. You know, fiat may come later, but Bitcoin is the priority. Awesome. Well, you know, we had a long talk a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and one of the things that stuck in my head that I want to start out with is this concept of a casino jail. Can you kind of unpack for our listeners what a casino jail is? Sure. So uh, the, maybe I should begin by saying just a little bit about what Urbit is in that it's very much defined in opposition to that concept. So Urbit is a clean slate operating system that runs as an overlay on any Unix-based machine, so Linux or Mac OS. And the purpose of Urbit is to make it very easy to operate your own personal server. Uh, it's a computer that you own completely. You own it via a cryptographic asset, uh, you know, a key pair. Uh, it's very durable. It's a it's a robust computer that's functionally written in with a functional programming language that was developed specifically for Urbit called Hoon. And uh, you know it's 100% yours in that all of the data that's on your Urbit is custodied by you. And this essentially enables you to have a a computer that is the basis of your digital life where you retain you know full ownership over your files over the the data that you generate online and where the implicit agreements that you used to make like trade-offs for you know data privacy versus ease of use are are all now completely explicit it's a com- it's a system that's designed to totally explicate all the trade-offs that you're making in uh, in your digital life. And so, you know, the casino jail is sort of the opposite of this, where, you know, you're using t- some free service like Twitter or Gmail, and you're not exactly sure what the bargain that you're making is. And, you know, the answer is usually like, well, you're trading away your privacy um, and also just your time. So services like Twitter are designed just to keep you on Twitter. Since Twitter's revenue is a direct function of how much time you spend on the site, same goes for YouTube, most social things. Uh, And they can trap you into a a cycle of true addiction, Uh, in some cases, dopamine addiction. And so Urbit is saying, well, you know, we're restructuring the computing experience to be on the terms of the user. And this means make the interface less busy, less distracting, uh, and 
ultimately just more more freeing. Have the computing experience be a a, a more flat playing field between mm-hmm. the people and- that are interacting instead of you know interacting at the table of some you know cloud casino. Can you talk a little bit about um, how virtualization and also um, financialization relate to some of those concepts? One of the examples you gave was that Bitcoin is um, it is an exit strategy for heavy financialization. Like, how does that relate to these concepts of like casino jails and dopamine vending machines? Uh, well, there's certainly a relationship with how your banking services as they exist now are not mm-hmm. transparent in the way that Bitcoin is transparent. When you go to the bank, they they advertise to, to you, their customer, like, mm-hmm. you know, take out a loan, take out these products. Um, and in the same way, you know, when you're using uh, a, different cloud platforms, they have subsidiary products that they encourage you to use, you know, subscriptions or cloud storage in the case of uh, mm-hmm. Google, you know, you're still within a marketed environment. Yeah. And I, I think also a lot of us have taken it for granted, or we take it as like a starting assumption that, uh, let's just say digital platforms or apps or services have to work on this economic model. And we've kind of forgotten that other things are possible. Certainly. Yeah. Urbit, Urbit expands the the Overton window of what a computing experience can be like. Could you talk a little bit about how, you know, Urbit or systems like it make this kind of opt out possible? I mean, my understanding is it's essentially because it's easier for us to run our own personal servers, we're not beholden to other folks who would be serving us data and services. Sure. Not only that, but it's also, you know, exit from other people that we share these, uh, these internet spaces with. So it's like it exit is sort of a, a, a buzzword, but it, it means that, yeah, you know, tech, Twitter and Bitcoin Twitter are no longer inhabiting, you know, necessarily the same digital spaces as, you know, their opponents or, or just people that they wouldn't get along with. You know, it's a, it's a stressed, it's a strained situation when you have, you know, Christian wine moms and Antifa, you know, on the same digital platform. And, you know, wouldn't everyone just be much more happy and sane if, uh, you know, those cohorts never had to interact and they could be sorted on the basis of, you know, clear realms of digital property? Yeah. Could you talk a little bit more about this metaphor um, of sort of like digital real estate or digital land? Sure. So the analogy has been made that, oh, your urban address is digital land. And I think that it's a very simple analogy that glosses over a lot of points. But I think that in general, it's meant to mean that your urban identity is a cryptographic asset. It 
it's uh it's a ERC721 uh token on the Ethereum PKI. It won't necessarily always be like that. I know that there are some people who are researching migrating the Urbit PKI to Bitcoin, for example, on a sidechain. Um, but at any rate, it will you'll always hold your Urbit network address as a cryptographic asset. And in this case, it does exist in that sort of concrete sense. Um in a way that is scarce, like there's a there's a there's a finite number of Urbit <clears throat> IDs. Uh, there's approximately well, there's 256 hmm. root nodes known as galaxies. Uh, there's approximately 65,000 intermediate infrastructure nodes known as stars, and then lastly, there's uh, about four billion uh, end sort of user addresses, if you will, uh, that are referred to as planets. So you have these addresses and to, to be able to network under any of those addresses, you need to have, you know, it's, you need to have its keys. And so the scarcity of that namespace brings some interesting, uh, dimensions to the way that people will actually use Urbit or or use any system in the future. So like, uh, you know, Google and Twitter, you can make infinite accounts. Uh, so, you know, you have botnets as issues. And so it, this usually ends up uh, leading to situations where you need uh, large sort of data-driven heuristics to screen out spam. And so I would encourage all your listeners to go, if you have a Gmail, for example, go to your spam inbox and flip through uh, the spam that you've gotten in the last month. I imagine it's immense. And basically the, the internet is like a, a gutter of spam. And the only reason why it's even feasible to use is because we have you know these large companies that underwrite screening all this stuff out, which necessarily centralizes things. But then in, in the case of Urbit, you know, you have, you have scarce identities, uh, and acquiring them costs something. So you can't just have an infinite number. Uh, and so suddenly you have a situation where, uh, spam is extremely expensive uh, reputation of your network address is valuable and you can basically accrue, you know, trust, accrue reputation. The, the social dimension of the internet is broadened when you can always trust that Pindet Tim, you know, honors his Bitcoin transactions, doesn't send abusive messages, doesn't run a botnet, et cetera. So it brings, uh, you know, an additional practical social layer. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I can really see why Bitcoin makes so much sense for Urbit um, if scarcity is such um, a core tenant. Right. So that, that was actually the original reason why I got into 
Urbit was I wanted to create a peer-to-peer Bitcoin exchange. Bitcoin exchange on Urbit, uh, you know, it can have, you know, a strong reputation primitive on the basis of Urbit identities, uh, but also be, you know, peer-to-peer in a in a fashion that isn't onerous. It doesn't, you know, make your computer... <laughs> like run like a jet plane. <laughs> Most people don't have, you know, the dedicated rig <laughs> at home. And uh, w- all of our hardware devices are really just uh, oriented around accessing something that's held remotely, you know, downloading your messages from Telegram, downloading your emails from Gmail, downloading, always downloading. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot more like the old uh, mainframe model. We're all just kind of walking around with super thin clients. Um, Right, exactly. I've heard you talk about this with the metaphor of uh, streaming, Christian, like everything streaming. Oh, yeah. So many subscriptions, so many just, you're just always just aggregating it in to your machine. But when you push it out, you're only sending it out once. You're, you're handing over, you know, when you tweet, you hand over the tweet to Twitter once and then they serve it to everyone else by essentially seeding that control. You know, that's the, that's the thin end of the wedge. And it's, it's purely a technical condition that like leads to so many, you know, follow on, follow on effects. Like why we, why do we have this gigantic, insane, uh, amalgam of mm-hmm. of people like arguing on the internet you, you know what i mean it it all comes from basic uh technological limitations of the client server paradigm yeah could we actually dig in a little bit more there i mean i think most i mean i certainly have the experience of you know i'm going to go check my email or i'm going to respond to a you know, uh, an internal work chat message. And suddenly, (laughs) you know, it's like I blacked out and it's 45 minutes later. Um, I've got five Twitter tabs open. Um, like this hangover feeling you're like, Oh, what happened? (laughs) Yeah. There's a real honeypot there. Um, I mean, another example I've heard, uh, I think from the urban community is like, you know, if you look at objects in your house, they're not, you know, a hammer or a pair of socks. Um, they're not advertising to you and they're not um, kind of whispering to you. There's not this like siren song from uh, your blender. Right. You know? Well, Hey, now, now, you know, we have, you know, the smart home. So, you know, <laughs> you'll, you'll have to, you'll have to authenticate to open your sock drawer sooner or later. But uh, I would say the way we think about it is, you know, you have in just design in general, you have a lot of household objects that are simple and beautiful, but they're single purpose. Um, one of the, uh, one of the examples we always talk about is the Brown, uh, the Brown desktop desk clock. It fits in your palm. It's very clear, uh, clear markings on the face it does one thing and it will work forever, basically. So what Urbit 
is trying to do is take the same simple and fully knowable uh, characteristics of digital design objects, but then bundling them all together. So it's like a, you know, it's a multi-tool. It does, it does many things. You know, you can send a message on Urbit, you can uh, receive a Bitcoin payment, you can uh, host a store if you're trying to sell, uh, you know, artwork or uh, socks <laughs> or uh, a subscription to your podcast. Um, and, but, but it's still like e- extremely basic and it doesn't, it doesn't take advantage of you in any way that, you know, our current systems do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In some ways, um, it, it feels like there's like a resistance to like the aliveness of, uh, networks and services, right? It's like going back to the original mechanical Turk, there's this spectacle of like automata coming alive. And like, by definition, I think digital technology uh, is more alive and more interactive and less passive than we'll come back to it again, you know, to my socks, right? Until we get the smart socks. It, it occurs to me is like part of it is like making computers dead again. I'm curious what your like response yeah. is. Yeah, I mean, I I would say that there's a natural revulsion to, you know, just the ugliness of like these AI servants. I think I think Nick Land uh described it as like a <laughs> I don't want to be vulgar. Um but he called it like a cunt horror slave chained up in Asimov Rom. Like it's a, it's sort of a grotesque thing when you realize that this connection of circuitry is, you know, steering you essentially. I mean that in like the true sense of the word cybernetics, like it's this thing that is making itself a, like a, a real force in your life beyond the end purpose of like what you're trying to do. Yeah. I think you get caught into its loop and I think you're guided and herded by it. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first authoritarian of the digital age was, uh, you know, Clippy, Microsoft Word, the, the paperclip <laughs> man. I mean, he's, ask who you're not allowed to criticize. <laughs> <laughs> Well, another way of putting it is it's like either the human is alive and the machine is not alive or the machine is alive and the human is not fully alive. Yeah. I think that there's a very direct tension between the fully blue sky AI luxury suite of, you know, cloud automation where, you know, you have your password saved in everything. You have the Apple face ID. You have the touch ID. You got the chip in your arm. Mm-hmm. You, you have everything. And then simply just wanting a spreadsheet, <laughs> right? Uh, or a word processor. There's, 
there's a point where computing is reaching. It's been hinted at before by stuff like the Kindle, where we realize for a broad set of consumer applications, the tech that we have is good enough. Um, it's not full smash the machines, but you know, keep the machines, keep the machines at bay, keep them doing, keep them doing dumb tasks. I personally think that for a very long time, the average person will not need a large AI presence in their life and that they can be a relative Luddite and have a computer that just behaves uh, according to very like limited set of options. Um, and then also if you do want to, you know, dive deep into the, into the AI fiat lux future, have an AI that runs on hardware that you own, that runs open source software or software that you wrote yourself or you customized yourself. Don't run someone else's AI since that's them leveraging you. Um, You know, we, we think that some people who use Urbit, if they, if they do like AI, you know, they can take it and make their Urbit something of their own digital Butler. So it's the difference between going to Amazon and being marketed a pair of shoes that you might like versus your computer knowing, oh yeah, I've seen my master uh, purchase, you know, Cordovan tassel loafers before. And oh, look, uh, you know, uh, Alden has a sale on those. So I'm going to, I'm going to inform him that they're on sale right now. Um, I'm going to go out and shop for my master versus, you know, being, you know, uh, walking into the mall, you know, turning on your computer, like you're walking into a mall and being, you know, sprayed in the face by one of the perfume ladies. Yeah. I mean, it's just a totally different model. I think that's imputed by the two different systems, right? I mean, I don't know if we can come to the running a social full node, um, term that we coined earlier, but it'd be cool to hear you talk a little bit more about the model of the user that's like kind of imputed by this type of computing. Well, yeah, it would be that they're, they are in control just like with Bitcoin, you know, we say, you know, not your keys, not your coins, uh, how, you know, the bank is basically just this black box that you deposit money into and you have no idea what they're doing with it in the meantime. It's subject to rules in terms of like being able to withdraw it. And so we say, okay, well, run a Bitcoin full node. Um, you know, the server is the implement of sovereignty in the digital world. Uh, so take your coins off of Coinbase. And now we have a, a multi-purpose computer for the rest of your data, not just, you know, your the data of your private keys, so to speak. And so withdraw your photos off of Facebook, withdraw your, your aphorisms off of Twitter, (laughs) withdraw (laughs) your business correspondence 
off of Gmail. So they stopped running text analysis on it. There are ways that you can now have control over all of that stuff yourself. And you can uh, avoid situations where, you know, malware is installed into your brain. So we've been living in some pretty interesting times recently. Um, at, at the moment of recording, you know, the country's been ravaged by, by COVID and the quarantine lockups that come with that. At this very current moment, we're in the middle of several days of protesting violence across um, pretty much every single major American city. Um, one of the big concepts of this podcast is the idea that the veil is slipping. You know, people are starting to realize, normal people, that something's not working, right? And I think that the concept of exit that we're talking about may start to seem um, a little bit more of a clearer concept. I, I would love to hear your thoughts on, yeah, I, what's what's your hot um macro take on what's happening right now <laughs> and where does uh, urban bitcoin fit uh, in? <laughs> sure well i mean most i think the most obvious thing is that if you use social media it it just installs you know malware in your brain like you're constantly bombarded by appeals to different ideology and it's it's hard to stay clear-pilled in that environment where every every post, every like, favorite, retweet is, you know, a sign of political affinity. Of it, it is essentially the, the battleground mm. of like politics, and yeah, I think that most people are like they're they're mystified and put off by it but they're also at the same time captured by it yeah um whether it's like an explicit political ideology like hashtag black lives matter or like hashtag maga there's also like other ideologies that like are defined in opposition like uh you know there's people that just say like oh like here's Here's like some animals. Here's some cute animals. Here, have a good day. Forget about the the stuff. And so <laughs> that also is like an ideology, if mm. you will. And so yeah. you have all these sort of competing signs and symbols all at once. And it like it doesn't help that they're like competing over you know, issues of, in the case of like the virus, it's like, oh, well, maybe shit, maybe it's life and death. Or if it's like uh, the the riots, maybe it's like, oh, like, you know, racism is at my, is at my front doorstep. Um, and so it's difficult just to swim through all that and be able to keep sight of any, uh, you know, lodestar. And, you know, it's especially impossible because all those sites, they have whatever that algorithm is, like the social behavior on them has 
it's it's channeled in ways that are invisible and so it if if we want to begin the process of you know disentangling it you just return to more primitive systems like a graph that you understand innately how it functions um like we're building an a you know a twitter clone for urbit Shout out to Bronze Jaguar. That's so Urbit cool. is open source software. So even though, you know, op- yeah, open source has its own politics, um, it's still it's still a major downshift than like, you know, what are the politics of Google? Like what are the editorializing remarks that Twitter puts on like Donald Trump's tweets? It's like, it's much more flat, and uh and even so it i i I won't front that it'll like totally dry everything up and you know history will be you know back on back on course but at least it at least helps to know oh yeah this thing that i'm interacting with for 10 hours a day is what i is what I believe it to be. What else do you think is going to help if it's not all going to be orbit? What else? Uh, not else going to be orbit. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Some type of positive vision about <laughs> what can be. I don't know. We the the thing my friends have been talking about is like the need for a, a world historical painter. Who has a positive vision since obviously this sort of managed uh, technocratic neoliberalism isn't, isn't working out for everyone. So, mm. I mean, I have a, I have a positive vision in a very limited domain, only really in like the monetary domain, which is, I think that we should have Bitcoin free banking according to like the, uh, the, American free banking scholars, uh, George Selgin mm. and Larry White. I think that uh, companies like Coinbase and Kraken, though you know they don't represent the most sovereign usage of Bitcoin, I think that they are poised to revive the the ideals of Scottish free banking, which is basically you know private issue banknotes uh, and deregulation for you know. A bank formation. Uh, and so I think that money of all, of all the mediums that are the message, you know, money is the medium that we deal with, I think most directly, but also like it's the most influential thing that we, that we interact with. It's like, uh, people say you vote with your pocketbook, um, which is, which is true. So, mm-hmm if we can get to a, a more a more free expression of just holding and paying and receiving money if we can get to a clearer notion of that um through sound money you know that's that's i think a another step well money's just so deep down in the substrate could you 
Could you talk a little bit more about yeah. Bitcoin free banking? Um, sure. Well, it's just like auditability um, for like, you can have a sound money standard, like, uh, you know, is your, is your institution ultimately accountable to some, to some commodity that's, uh, you know, governed by like, yeah, the, what was I going to say? Free banking is just like, a, an extension of that, uh, by injecting, competition back into the the mix and you know re- rejecting the regulatory capture of the sclerotic megabanks yeah. and so you know if a bank is bad you know let them fail and don't bail them out and if you deregulate them enough uh just like anyone can run a full bitcoin full node no one bitcoin full node is you know systemic to like systemically important. Um, so that, you know, this was the, that's the classic apology that the, the Fed gave um, in 2008. And, you know, it still sort of lingers now, which is like, oh, well, we, we can't permit, uh, you know, the creative destruction of the system because these institutions are too, are too large and, they're involved in too many places that if one fails, it's a collapse of just the ability to operate finance. Um, But I think that Bitcoin will give us an opportunity to, to realize where the fiat system has failed. Could you, could you talk, I guess, a little bit about the history of uh, free banking, you know, before, (laughs) <laughs> long before Bitcoin came into the pictures? Uh, sure. It's mostly referred to in like the context of uh, like Scotland. There was a free banking period um, in, in the uh, 1800s in the United States, but like Scotland is the canonical example. It's, it's like a, just a state of deregulated banks Um the Royal Bank of Scotland and uh, some others. Uh, it was just a very high, it was a highly competitive banking system. Uh, the, the banks could issue their own banknotes and some went bust, but overall it never harmed the system. The system was incredibly stable. Um, so I, I would argue that, you know, you can have companies like Coinbase um, issue like Bitcoin denominated notes, if you will. And it will, it will just be another way to basically scale Bitcoin using, you know, sort of existing proven concepts about what a, what an offer of financial services looks like. Cool. And I'd like to go back to something you said in terms of money being a medium. And that reminded me that uh, you actually have a background in art, which I think is really interesting. You know, I, I even think your Bitcoin sign moment is this wonderful piece of um, art of like, 
creating a meme in the space that you just don't see much of. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your art background and how how that fits in with your view of all these things we've been talking about, money, um, computing, sovereignty. What's what's the artist POV? Sure. Well, I guess I'm I'm sort of of two minds on this. On one hand, I'm just very interested in and have been for basically all my life just very traditionalist aesthetics, um, uh, beauty, mm-hmm. if you will, like classical classical art. Um, I'm sort of an amateur painter, an amateur woodworker, um, and in those in those realms, I try to stick very much to classical notions of of art and beauty. Um, but then there's the other mind, which is that if it's not necessarily art, you know, the realm of like memes can be understood in formal artistic mm-hmm. language. So in college, I made a meme museum as my <laughs> senior thesis. And it was, um, it was basically like I took m- just absolutely ludicrous memes and put them in golden frames and hung them in an art gallery at my school and had pamphlets and made people's made, you know, old ladies walk through and look at a picture of like Donald Trump, but it's like the 1-800 hotline bling background, but it's like 1-800 make America great again (laughs) with like, vaporwave dolphins and palm trees like it was a it was a fun project (laughs) but um i don't know i think that that much as art used to be the animating vocabulary of just people in general like it it's, it's always been a way to communicate and like now you know memes are the way that we communicate for better or worse it's like the highly essentialized uh and recursive uh reference to things that happen so it's is very much the way that information is processed um nowadays so i mean i guess it it wasn't my intention to become a meme or to commit an act of artistry <laughs> with the bitcoin sign but you know, in retrospect, I can understand why it was, uh, why it was understood that way. And so, I mean, yeah, I've since, I since have had some fun with that, maybe just irresponsibly stoking the spectacle of, of it all. Like that was the bull (laughs) at that conference. Um, but also I've, I've made a, uh, a series of 21, uh, buy Bitcoin signs that are like hand done reproductions on legal pads. And I put them in shadow box frames and I'm actually selling them. So <laughs> damn, I'm getting my plug in here. If you put want in one, the show notes. I have a couple, <laughs> I have a couple, I have a couple left. So if you would like one for your office <laughs> um, or your home, You'll be in good Bitcoin OG company. I'm proud to say that a, n- a number of my heroes, is essentially in Bitcoin, have them. That's awesome. 
Um, th- though I, I'll eventually have to, you know, pay uh, rep- reparations to my conscience for indulging like the the pop art, <laughs> like non-representational, <laughs> highly abstract, uh, floating signifier uh, art concept. <laughs> yeah, there is this sort of like uh, Maria Abramovich quality to it in some ways <laughs> yeah man damn uh I, I can't believe that i've put myself in <laughs> well so one thing yeah is so like bitcoin itself is kind of performative too i don't i don't mean spectacle in like a bad way i mean spectacle and like it's kind of a um mysterious and beautiful example of some sort of new type of possibility that didn't exist uh certainly in the 1980s, but maybe not even in the 1990s. Hmm. I mean, yes, but I could also paint it cynically. Like Bitcoin is just the latest gyration of, you know, land's techno capital singularity. And it was trying to get at this for a while. Uh, Like techno capital wants to be just unrestrained, right? Completely unchained. And uh, it, like it was using fiat currency as a host for a while, but even ev- it quickly realized that like, oh, this fiat currency is not the most stable thing ever. So in the 80s with the cypherpunks, you know, we already saw hash cash, digicash, all the crypto experiments. And now Bitcoin, they finally just Satoshi got the formula okay. right, essentially. And so it it was something that was being thrust at for a while. Well, yeah. Can, can I talk, Christian, man, about like, let's kind of walk through since we're talking about like, you know, positive visions a little bit more. Like what sort of a optimistic, uh, but still plausible, pragmatic version of a uh, future where Bitcoin and Urbit are more prevalent um, and constitutive of more people's day-to-day lives, right? I don't think any of us think it's realistic that there's some total mass strike situation where we all exit the biopolitical machinery of, uh, you know, 2020 and live in this sort of like digital VR, Bitcoin, Urbit, pirate utopia. Um, But I guess, do you see exit mainly as like, okay, we're creating this alternative zone, uh, for human life, or do you see exit as a way to um, get leverage and apply pressure on existing institutions, or is it a little bit of both? I mean, I I really don't I really don't know. I, I I'm like so hesitant to sing like the siren song of digital localism, distributism, whatever. I mean, I think that. It's interesting because there are people with like extremely strong positive visions, um, like Elon Musk. I'll like further him by saying um, I would like to see a cathedral built on Mars. Uh, I have a hmm. I have a running uh, folder of <laughs> images that inspire this. I'm trying to actually get into stoneworking. Um, uh, I don't know. I, it's it's hard to say where like the intermediate 
step is because it seems like obviously Elon is like launching people into space at the same time that there's like uh, riots. So like Whitey on the moon, um, Gil Scott Heron, <laughs> uh, it like it could go in both directions. Half of the situation could devolve while the other half, uh, you know, quite literally blasts off. Uh, so <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Yeah. Um, so if we have, uh, I would say a hope it's like in continuing to just stack one block on top of the next and we can find, uh, you know, some holiness in that work. I, I hope. Hmm. One block on top of the next. That, that, that That's like the, that's the shaker ideal. That was like the furniture that I make is like the shakers viewed building furniture as like a, an act of worship of God. And so like, that's, that's very much how I view like all things in this realm that are, you know, productive. Yeah, I hear that. So does that answer the question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, I, I, I also, I, I also think, you know, it's kind of a preposterous question. It was we, cause we just, yeah, I mean, the, you know, like, you know about like solar punk, right? No, I actually don't. Oh, so like solar punk is like the solar punk is the opposite of, uh, cyberpunk. Um, so like cyberpunk is, oh, we all live in, you know, Blade Runner, LA, Neo Tokyo, uh, Fallout. Yeah, Deus Ex. uh, Night City. We live in this cyber, Siberian dystopia. Whereas solar punk is like, uh, it's, it's all the, it's in all those memes where it's like, oh yeah, this is what society would look like if everyone thanked the bus driver and it's gleaming skyscrapers and you know cities within forests and stuff like that and so i mean i think that quickly solar punk will like uh, once again like be our generation's vision that becomes the lost future just like you know what we are in today doesn't look like the Jetsons or doesn't look like, you know, fully automated luxury space communism. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's, it's another one of those uh, visions that we fail to meet, Mm -hmm. but I do think that there's at least a possibility of that, but I think it, it requires, um, you know, more care for, uh, you know, traditional, sort of old modes of, of being and doing. Um, and if, if there can be a marriage between like, you know, the new technology of cryptography or rocketry or whatever, then, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's a potential there. So it's kind of like a a futurist uh, primitivism kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's, it's the bison sphere. What can I say? It's like living, (laughs) It's, it's the extremely primitive uh, combined with the extremely uh, like ultra, ultra technological. 
So <laughs> we'll see if we can get there. Yeah, it's like the Oregon Trail cart going to the you know, singularity event horizon. You know, we have, you know, at the at the Talon office, we actually have a Mac too, and I've played the original Oregon Trail. <laughs> Yeah. with uh with like the keyboard that's amazing it's pretty fun. yeah i was thinking when you were talking about um urbit earlier i think whenever i listen to people talk about the project i always think of the early advertisements for the apple II. um oh yeah yeah in fact someone someone memed that ad the other day it was like uh there's the apple ad which is like there's 235 million people in america but only a fraction can use a computer. And now it's like, oh, there's, you know, 300, I don't know, 40 million people in America, but only a fraction can use an urban. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we're at that level uh, in terms of Urbit's development right now. It's like we have a computer. It can do these basic things. It has chat. It has publish for like blogs and pages. It, it has link sharing collections it will have micro threads a la twitter and then it will have a bitcoin wallet and and more but like the the point is that we're basically at like the at the mac 2 this is like the mac 2 moment for mm. urbit if you will so what's going to be the uh, oregon trail of urbit uh the oregon <laughs> trail i don't know i have been campaigning for peer-to-peer chess on Urbit for a while, but ultimately there should be like, there should be everything. It's it, Urbit was built to be infinitely extensible, um, to have whatever type of interface you want. Like this goes to like computer aesthetics before, you know, you have most of the cloud interfaces we deal with today are like quite ugly. They're distracting. They're cluttered. I want, I want some like Swiss watchmaker, like, uh, you know, Patek Philippe or Vacheron to come in and, uh, you know, make like an eggshell interface for Urbit and put their logo there and you can, you know, buy it for like, you know, I don't know, a couple hundred dollars, <laughs> but it's like make computers, uh, you know, objects of beauty again, they, they should be, they should be stunning. And I know that that's like what Johnny Ive has uh, like always said about Apple products, and it's true in like a hardware sense. Uh, they are quite, quite stunning. But in terms of the software inside them, that isn't like uh, you know Apple designed. It's frequently just tremendous ugliness. Yeah, well, I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of the software also that you isn't running locally, right? I mean, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Run, grow, grow local, buy local, run local. local, Yeah. (laughs) Compute local. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I, I won't be able to, uh, yeah, I I can't top that. So that that's, that's it. Run local. That's a good one. Cool. Uh, anyway, well, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Uh, this has been, this has been super fun. <laughs>